Well, this morning, uh, we're going to look at a message simply entitled Focus, and we're going to talk today specifically about how do we uh, really tap into the power of focus, but maybe even more importantly, we're going to recognize how do we guard our hearts against distraction. Uh, how many of you recognize we live in a distracted world? We are a distracted people, and as I was just doing a little study this week, uh, I just thought it'd be interesting to do a little Googling on distraction, and I found found out really some not just alarming but very sobering statistics. Do you realize that in America, every two minutes, uh, there is a car accident from a distracted driver with their cell phone? Every two minutes. So that means in an hour that we're in church, there will be 30 car accidents that will be directly connected to distracted drivers. Uh, and, and the truth is we've probably all been guilty of looking at that phone while we're driving down the road. Every two minutes, there's a car accident. When you amp that up just a little bit, the statistics go on to tell us that not, not only every two minutes is there a car accident, uh, but literally every day, eight people die in a car accident caused by a distracted driver. That's over 3,000 people every year in America that literally lose their lives because of a distracted driver on their cell phone. That's a pretty alarming statistic when you think about the fact that today before we go to bed, eight people will be dead because of distracted driving. And as I was reading those statistics, I thought what a sobering picture of the power of distraction. And we begin to recognize that the enemy is a master deceiver, but he is also a deceiver because he is a great distractor. Satan loves to distract us from the things that matter most. And I agree, we should not be distracted drivers, but I'm afraid we have way too many distracted livers. <laughs> People that are living their life distracted from the purpose and the plan and the path that God has for their life. And today I want to share with you really three very basic principles, three common elements of Christianity. But what I've learned about common Christianity is common Christianity is not necessarily that common anymore. Uh, there are some basic elements of our faith, I believe tools that God has given us to help us not only stay focused, but resist the distractions of the world. Because if you're not careful, you'll end up finding yourself in the ditches of life. Amen. Uh, I, I was thinking about growing up. My dad, uh, my dad. I grew up. My dad laid carpet. He was a he was a carpet layer for many years. He ended up having to have some uh, multiple back surgeries, and so he had a career change kind of toward the end of his life. And he started driving an eighteen wheeler gas truck. And so my dad for years drove an eighteen wheeler gas truck. And my dad was a uh, a sightseeing driver. If you know what I'm talking about, right? He was a sightseeing driver. I, unfortunately, I kind of. Kelly's pointing at me. I am a sightseeing driver. I'm like, if I'm driving down the road, I might as well see what's around me. Come on. I mean, that's part of the joy of getting behind the wheel is I get to check out some new environment. But my dad, growing up, my dad was a sightseeing driver. And the joke around our house, we'd be driving down the road, my dad would be looking at something, and he'd run off the edge of the road and jerk it back on, and my mom would yell at him. And, and my dad would say, oh, don't worry. I'm a big rig driver. That's what he used to say. I'm a big rig driver. And I, I think, unfortunately, if we're not careful, uh, we, we, we think that, uh, that we're big rig drivers, so to speak. We, we think that, that running off the edge of the road is sometimes just part of life. And maybe to some degree it is a little bit of the part of life. 
But I think there's a challenge there that we need to be aware of. I think we need to recognize that if we're not careful, distraction becomes destruction. If we're not careful, distraction becomes destruction. And that little veer in our driving, that little distraction in our attention, that little turning of our head and turning of our hearts off the things that really matter in the heart of God will end us up in the ditches of life. And before you know it, we're a casualty and our distraction has become a destruction that maybe is impacting not only our lives but the lives of other people. Today I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 11 verse 34 Jesus makes a very very powerful statement when it comes to distraction and it comes to focus and it comes to our vision look what he says in Luke 11:34 He says the light of the body is the eye Therefore, when the eye is single, that word single means clear, it's focused, it's, it's undistracted. When your eye is single, look what the Bible says, the whole body also is full of light. That, that's really a powerful verse. That's an encouraging verse because Jesus said, if I'll guard my eyes, I can also dictate the fullness of my heart. What my eye sees, my heart will be attracted to. I've got to have a clear eye. I've got to have clear vision. I've got to have a focused attention on the things that matter. Because if I'll focus my eyes on what matters, my attention, my direction on what matters, Jesus said, a clear eye fills your heart and your life with light. And one of the easiest ways I think we can guard our hearts is just by guarding our eyes. One of the simplest ways we can guard our hearts against the schemes and strategies of the enemy is to simply guard our eyes, our focus, our vision, our direction of what are we focusing on, what are we looking at, and is there a clarity in our vision? Because Jesus goes on, look what he says next. He says, but when thy eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. See, Satan understands that if he can distract your focus, he can destroy your life. If he can get you focused on the wrong thing, if he can get you distracted by the things of this world, if your eye becomes evil, the word there, evil, is clouded or darkened, then your whole life becomes full of darkness. And we've all seen it. All the guys in the room understand this, right? There's, there's this thing, men, you understand, it's called pornography, and if pornography can catch your eye, guess what will happen? It will defile your heart. If pornography catches your eye, it will defile your heart. It will defile your marriage. It will rob you of your impact and influence as a believer in Jesus Christ. If pornography can catch your eye, it will fill your whole body with darkness. We look at the business world and we recognize that if we're not careful, I, I love entrepreneurs. I have an entrepreneurial spirit and I love the idea of creating things and making things and doing new things and, and conquering new ground. That excites me. But if we're not careful, if you have an entrepreneurial business-minded mentality, you can let money catch your eye and it'll fill your heart with greed. It'll fill your heart with darkness. Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And whatever catches your eye, whatever holds your focus, whatever distracts your attention has the power and the potential to begin to fill your life with the very thing that's captured your vision. 
So God challenges us. Jesus gives us this amazing insight into the revelation that we got to be focused on the things that matter, and we got to make sure we guard our eyes so we can guard our hearts against those things. Look with me in 1 Kings chapter 15, because today I want us to kind of take a contrast between two kings, two of the greatest kings in the nation of Israel, and we're going to see how these two individuals were distracted and how distraction brought destruction into their lives. The Bible says this, 1 Kings 15 verse 5, it says, David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. What's that next word? Except, except in the manner of Uriah the Hittite. Now, now listen to that statement. David loved the Lord his God with all his heart, and he did not turn away from anything that God had called him to do except in one area of his life. Except in the area of Uriah the Hittite. If you don't know the story of David and Uriah the Hittite, the story of David and Uriah the Hittite actually starts with David and Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. And the Bible says this. The Bible says it was the time of year when all the kings would go to war. And you know what David did? David stayed home. Let me tell you what what happens. Distraction many times begins with just displacing you and disengaging you from the thing that God has called you to do. When you stop engaging in what God's called you to engage in and you stop pursuing what God's called you to pursue and you stop running after what God's called you to run after, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself in a place you are never supposed to be in. And I believe David, out of boredom, he was supposed to be fighting in the field, but he was now lounging on the rooftop. And out of boredom, he begins to look around. And the Bible says Bathsheba caught his eye. He became distracted by her beauty, distracted by her looks. And the Bible goes on to tell us that he called her unto himself. He slept with her and then found out she got pregnant. And David decided to cover his sin. And the Bible says David sent for Uriah and told him to come home. He was going to give him a little break from the battle, but David didn't know something. David didn't know that Uriah was more righteous than him. He didn't know that Uriah had more integrity than David did because when Uriah came home and David said, hey, you're free to go see your wife. He said, oh, no, my king, I can't go and see my wife while the men of Israel are on the fields fighting in the battles. And the Bible says Uriah slept on the footstep or the door or the gates of the king's house and refused to go see his wife. And then the Bible says when David couldn't cover his sin, David tried to destroy Uriah, so he literally wrote a letter and he sent a letter. He sent Uriah's own execution papers carried by his own hands. And Uriah took that letter and gave it to the general in the field. And David told the general, let everybody engage in battle and put Uriah in the hottest spot of the battle. And when he's engaged, everybody back up. And he was killed. He was murdered by King David. Because he was distracted by a pretty woman on a roof. See, distraction leads to destruction. 
Distraction can take you down a path you never intended to go. It can cause you to go places you never thought you would go. Cause you to think things you never thought you would think. Cause you to plot things you never thought you would plot in your own mind. Because you lost your focus and you became distracted by the scheme and strategy of the enemy. To rob you of what God intended for your life. Now look with me in 1 Kings chapter 3. Another king. Solomon, David's son. The Bible says, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of his father. There's that word again. Except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods but he did not keep what the Lord God had commanded him. And Solomon was loyal to the Lord God of Israel except in the fact that he turned his heart away and began in his latter years to worship other gods he became distracted and I love the fact that the Bible says the Lord came to him twice and confronted him in that thing in which God was dealing with him let me tell you what I love about God God loves you and me so much that he'll confront the one thing in your life that's not right. God loves you so much that you can be doing good. You can be like David and like Solomon. I'm following the Lord in this area, and I'm following the Lord in this area, and I'm following the Lord in this area. And God looks at the one thing in your life, and he says, oh, yeah, but what about that? What about that? And let me tell you something, when God identifies that thing in your life that's distracting you, He's not identifying it because He's against you. He's identifying it because He's for you. God identifies those things in our lives that are distracting us because God understands the fruit of distraction is destruction. God understands that if we don't deal with that one thing, that one thing will lead us down a path into many other things. David's sin of adultery became the sin of murder. Why? Because he didn't deal with the one thing and it ultimately led to another thing. And isn't that what sin does? The Bible says sin is like leaven. A little sin will leaven the whole lump. Before you know it, one compromise in your life, one exception to the rule will lead to many exceptions to the rule, will lead to multiple areas of compromise because the moment you start to cover your sin, now you've got to lie about your sin. And it all begins with a distraction. One gentleman said, he said, I believe that all sin is rooted in broken focus. That somewhere we lose sight of what really matters and we become distracted by the enemy. But God loves us. Can I get an amen? amen. And he loves us so much that that one thing in our life becomes the main thing that God begins to focus on and God begins to deal with in our hearts. So I want you to think about this for just a second. If David, who is a man after God's own heart, and Solomon, who is the wisest man who ever walked the earth, apart from Jesus, if David and Solomon could be distracted, 
then we need to be on guard. If David and, and Solomon could be distracted, we need to be on guard. We cannot allow pride to deceive us into a false security that says, I'm okay. Hey, I am okay, praise God, but I need to be on guard. I need to be alert and I need to be aware. Why? Because every day we are bombarded with the distractions of this world that want to turn our eye, turn our head, and turn our heart away from God. And if we're not careful, like David and like Solomon, even though we love God and we have the wisdom of God, we can be distracted by the enemy to such a degree that we end, our, end up in the ditches of life. Amen? So, let's talk about three ways we can stay focused. The first one is very simple. We stay focused through consistent prayer. Prayer brings clarity to the confusion of our life. Prayer gives us direction for our daily lives. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always and pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We stay focused through consistent prayer. When you think about prayer, the power of prayer is that prayer is communion and connection with the Father. Through prayer, we get to connect our hearts. We get to commune with God. We get to communicate with the Lord. And how many of you understand that prayer is not just talking to God? God actually talks back. <laughs> See, the power of prayer is not in what you say. It's in what he says back. It's his response to your requests that brings clarity to your confusion and direction to your life. And I love the fact that as a Christian, I think one of the most amazing opportunities we have every day is, is what I just like to call three-second prayers, those help me Jesus prayers. Give me wisdom, God. Give me discernment. Give me direction. And what I love about that is that we can live in constant communion with the Lord. And you can be on your job in the middle of a business meeting surrounded by 20 other people and you can say a three-second prayer that can change the trajectory and direction of your life and your business and your success on that, in that company. You can be at school and you can pray, pray a three-second prayer that can change everything. You can be anywhere and everywhere and those little three-second breath prayers, Lord, help me, speak truth to me, Holy Spirit. Give me wisdom, Lord. Show me what to do. I mean, I'm a big Help Me Jesus fan. <laughs> help Me Jesus goes a long ways. I'm just telling you, help me Jesus, Lord. Help me, I don't know what to do. Help me, I don't know what to say. Help me, I don't know how to respond. Help me Jesus. And you know what's amazing? In a moment, that little prayer gets answered. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Those three second prayers are prayers that acknowledge that God is God, right? And think about who we get to talk to. We get to talk to the God who knows all, who sees all, and who is able to do all. Come on, somebody. And I get to talk to him, and not only do I get to talk to him, I get to hear what he says back, and I can acknowledge him in every situation of my life through prayer, and God will speak, and in a moment I'll know what I need to do. Just that quick. Don't have to get on my knees. Don't have to bow my head. Don't have to pull my hands up like this. I can just talk to God moment by moment, breath by breath, and I can commune with Him. 
It's consistent prayer. It's living that life of prayer. Smith Wigglesworth, you may or may not know who he is. Lived a life of supernatural power, mighty healings and miracles happened through his ministry. And he was asked one day about prayer, and this is what Smith Oglesworth said. He said, I never pray for more than 20 to 30 minutes. He said, but I never go more than 20 or 30 minutes without praying. <laughs> he lived a life of consistent prayer, a life of just communicating and talking to God, and it doesn't mean you got to be weird, and it doesn't mean you got to be goofy, and it doesn't mean you got to be religious. It just means you got to walk in a relationship with God that understands you have access to the Father 24 7, 365 days a year, and that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and that He will reveal to you the heart and the will of the Father. How many of you understand it's not God's will for you not to know God's will? Let me say that again. It's not God's will for you not to know God's will. God is not hiding from you in the sense that he doesn't want you to know. The Bible says it's the glory of a king to conceal a matter, or it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of a king to search it out. God's not trying to keep it from you. God is just hiding it enough that it requires you to acknowledge him. And if you'll acknowledge him in all of your ways, he will direct all of your paths because it's not God's will for you not to know his will for your life. We make God's will this, this, this great mystery, if I could just know the will of God. Well, you can know the will of God through prayer and intimacy with the Lord by learning to listen this Saturday, learning how to hear the voice of God. If you want to deepen that, you need to be here Saturday. If you want to cultivate that, you need to be here Saturday. You need to learn how to hear the voice of God. Why? Because God is speaking. And so through that consistent prayer, praying without ceasing, living in that constant communion with the Lord, we tap into the very heart of God. And we can make decisions in a moment based on the impressions and directions of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The second thing, we stay focused through daily study of God's Word. I told you these were common Christian realities. We can stay focused through the daily study of God's Word. God's Word brings light into the darkness and enables us to discern the path that we are supposed to take. Psalms 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. God's Word illuminates the darkness. Let me just encourage you in something. My greatest pastoral exhortation, read the Bible. <laughs> Change your life. I mean, let's just be honest. There are many Christians that are saved, going to heaven, and go to church most of their life, and they never read the Bible on a daily basis. They never cultivate a daily relationship with God through His Word where they're studying the Scriptures to show themselves approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, and it is amazing what you will learn and see and understand when you will simply open the Bible and go to God and say, Lord, I want to know you. God, I want to know you. I don't want to know about you. I want to know you. I don't even want a principle for life. I want to know you. God, I just want to know you. 
My life changed. When I was 19 years old, I opened my Bible for the first time as a 19-year-old young man who had been saved since he was 15, raised in a Christian church his entire life. And I opened my Bible at 19 years old, and here was my prayer. God, I want to know you. And I mean, it changed my life. God, I want to know you. Every day I sit at the feet of Jesus. Every day I read my Bible. Every day I spend time in prayer and worship. Why? Because, God, I want to know you. I don't want to know about you. I don't want to be able to more effectively debate Scripture. I'm not sharpening my sword so I can more effectively debate people. I'm sharpening my sword so I can cut the head off the devil. Right? I ain't worried about debating people. If somebody wants to argue the Bible with me, I ain't got time to talk to you. Because there are people that are hungry and thirsty and pursuing the things of God. There are people that have a genuine desire to know Jesus. There are people that want to be free and they're not free. And they need somebody with a sharp enough sword in the things of God to bring freedom and healing and deliverance into their life. And all of a sudden we recognize when I read the Bible, I am studying the Scripture because I want to know God. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. And there are a lot of people that could quote Scripture and all they do is take the Bible and beat people up with it. They use condemnation and judgment to beat people down. God wants to set you free with the Word of God. It is the law of liberty, the Bible says, that brings freedom and deliverance into your heart and into your life. I don't want to be a scholar. I want to be intimate with God. I want to know Him, and I want to make Him known. I want people to get around me like they got around the, the disciples in the book of Acts, and they said, man, they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they recognized they had been with Jesus. I want to I be recognized as somebody who's been with Jesus. And part of being with him is opening his word. God reveals his will. God reveals his heart. God reveals his character. God reveals his nature through the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, look what it says. For the word of God is living and powerful. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him of whom we must give an account. God's word is alive. It is a weapon of warfare through which we fight the enemy and which we discern and cut through the confusion and chaos in our world. Let's just be honest. Sometimes you think about something so much, you become confused in your own mind. You ever just went over it, 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 until you're now overwhelmed by your own thoughts. Well, if you're struggling with something, Google that word and say every scripture that has that word, and I want to find it out. Start reading what the Bible says. You'll be amazed at how the Holy Spirit will speak. All you got to do is open the Bible. Let me give you a great thought. I want you to look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 17. This, this is interesting. We talked about King David, a man after God's own heart. We talked about King Saul, the wisest man who ever lived apart from Jesus. And look at Deuteronomy 17. We're going to start in the 14th verse. God's speaking to the children of Israel. Look what he says. You're about to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. 
And when you take it over and settle there, you may think we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. If this happens, be sure to select as king the man the Lord your God chooses. And you must appoint a fellow Israelite. He, must not, he may not be a foreigner. Verse 16. And the king must not build up large stables of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. And the king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. He must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. So God just said, hey, if you want a king, I'm going to give you, here's the rules. Three rules for the king. He can't have a large stable and he can't go to Egypt and get horses. He doesn't need to have multiple wives. And he doesn't need to acquire extreme amounts of wealth for himself. Now look at the very next verse. 18. And when he, the king, sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself this body of instruction, those three rules, three rules, on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. Verse 19. And he must keep that copy with him and read it when? And read it daily. As long as he lives. This way he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. This regular reading, regular reading, will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he's above his fellow citizens. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest ways, and it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. The king had three rules, three laws for the king, and Solomon broke all three of them. Solomon acquired great stables, and he sent to Egypt and brought horses back. Solomon had 700 wives. Somebody say, Lord, help him, Jesus. And 300 concubines. And the Bible says he accumulated wealth, silver and gold, to such a degree that silver was as common as pebbles on the ground. He had three rules, and he broke all three of them. You know what Solomon wasn't doing? He wasn't reading his Bible every day. God said, I want the king to write down these three rules. And I want the king to read these three rules every day. Every day, least he become proud, least he turn his heart away from the Lord, and least he doesn't leave an inheritance to his children. Solomon could have spared himself and the nation of Israel the repercussions of his sin if he would have just read his Bible every day. I want to propose to us today that there's a lot of stuff we get into that we wouldn't get into if we just read the Bible. There's a lot of heartache and heartbreak and pain and despair and brokenness and grief and sorrow that we find ourselves in simply because we neglected the daily reading of Scripture. I want to encourage you, read your Bible. A chapter a day. A verse a day, a reading plan a day, it is so easy today for us to read our Bible. I shared with you last week, I had an opportunity, went to Honduras last week, and we were in two villages that did not have a church, that did not have a pastor, did not have a written language. They did not have a Bible. They had no written language. 
when the missionaries first started going there, they actually told the people they were going to start distributing food in their village. They said, we're going to bring food on Monday, and we're going to bring food on Wednesday, and we're going to bring food on Friday. They didn't know what Monday, Wednesday, or Friday was. They had no calendar. They had no concept of Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So they literally had to say, well, you're going to go to sleep, and after you sleep one night, the next day we're going to bring you food. And then you're going to sleep another night, and then the next day we're going to bring you food. And then you're going to sleep another night, and the next day you're going to bring you food. And then you're going to sleep two nights, and then we're going to bring you food. <laughs> they don't even have a written language, much less a Bible. And we have a Bible in our hand everywhere we go. And we don't read them. I don't say that to condemn you. I say that to challenge you today. Read the Bible. It is a gift from God that empowers us to live the life he's called us to live. It keeps us focused on what matters. The last point, here it is. Look at this last point. We stay focused through submission to spiritual authority. And I, I put a little slash in there just for me if you want to write it in on your notes. Not only do we need spiritual authority, we need spiritual community. Spiritual and authority, spiritual authority and spiritual community gives us a 30,000 foot view of our lives. We can see further and clearer than we could ever see on our own. We need spiritual authority. That's why God gives kids parents. Every child needs somebody smarter than them, wiser than him, them, older than them, that's walked ahead of them, that's made some mistakes and had some successes that can govern and guide and watch out for their soul. Every child needs it. And we have a world in epidemic problem. We have epidemic problems of addiction and chaos and confusion because we have generations that have grown up without parents. We have fatherless generations, we have motherless generations, and we have entire generations that have grown up without a mom or a dad watching over their soul. And unsupervised children, I don't care who they are, end up getting in trouble. <laughs> but guess what? Just because you grow up doesn't mean you don't need authority anymore. And just because you grow up doesn't mean you don't need communion anymore. We need each other. God established spiritual authority and spiritual community to keep us focused. See, the truth is we all have blind spots. Now, here's what's crazy. I can see your blind spot, but I can't see mine. I can look at Owen and say, oh, man, you need to think about that. You need to pray about that. And Owen can look at me and he say, Pastor Keith, you need to think about that. You need to pray about that. And the truth is, I don't see what he sees and he don't see what I see. That means we need each other. We need the body. We need spiritual authority. We need spiritual community. We need people that are seeking the heart of God, seeking the face of God, that love us enough to challenge us and speak truth to us and create a place where we can learn and grow and draw wisdom from. Let's just read a couple of scriptures. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say for their work, listen to this, is to watch out for your souls and they are accountable to God. 
Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs 20, 18 says, Plans are established by counsel, but wise by wise counsel wage war. You know what I love to do? I love to talk to pastors and older ministers in the gospel, and I love to pick their brain. Hey, what would you tell a young pastor? What would you tell somebody? And I've been pastoring for 30 years. I mean, I'm kind of the old guy in town now. I meet with all of our pastors here in Arab. I've been here longer in Arab than any other pastor in our community. But you know what I do every time I get around those guys? I want to listen and I want to learn. You know why? Because they've seen things I haven't seen. They've done things I haven't done. They've learned things I haven't learned. They've experienced things I haven't experienced. And they have something to give me. And a fool despises counsel, but a wise man seeks counsel. Let me tell you what happens many times, not all the time, but many times somebody calls office and says, I need to meet with Pastor Keith. Usually by the time somebody gets to the point that they need to meet with me, they've already messed up, screwed up, and blowed up. <laughs> I mean, they're on the other side of chaos. And they're holding a mess, and they come in my office. Pastor Keith, I just want to give you this. <laughs> like, boy, I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, I'm glad to do that. I'm glad I can be here. I'm glad I can do that. I count it a joy and honor to help people come out of their mess. But let me just tell you something. Wisdom says, seek counsel before you make the decision instead of after you make the decision. Seek counsel before you spend all that money instead of after you spend all that money. Speak counsel before you marry that person you met online and just talked to them one time and you're ready to get married tomorrow. Before you marry them. Lord, help us, Jesus. As funny as it is, we know it's funny because it's true. And we're all guilty. We, we, all, we, all, we all get deceived by our own pride, and we think we got it figured out, and we know what's best, and we're right, and it's my life, and nobody can tell me how to live it. That is a foolish way to live your life. That is a foolish way to live your life. A wise man seeks counsel. A wise man seeks counsel. And the more wisdom you have, the more of the right counselors you bring into your life. One of the things I love about our church, and I'm going to close with this, I love about our church is that we've got an awesome group of leaders. We've got an awesome group of leaders. We've got an awesome group of elders. And every time I feel like the Lord speaks to me, I've got a clear vision or a direction or a step we need to take. I always take it and submit it to our elders, and I submit it to our leaders. And every time this is what happened, they make it better. They make it better. Every time I say, hey, this is what I feel like the Lord's wanting us to do. This is the direction I feel like God's called us to do. They see things I don't see. They have concerns about things I don't have concerns about. They have insight about things I don't have insight. And every time we walk away, you know what happens? That plan just got elevated to a whole other level of effectiveness. Because in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. So I want to just do this today. I want us just to, let's just bow our heads for just a minute. I want our prayer teams to come. And I made this statement a moment ago, and I want to just come back to it, and I want to open the altar here in just a second as our prayer teams come. It's not the will of God that you don't know the will of God. It's not the will of God that you don't know the will of God. And I'm not saying God necessarily is always going to show you everything, but I believe God is faithful to always show us the next thing. 
that he wants to do in our lives. And if you're here this morning and maybe, maybe you just need clarity and you need direction, you need to hear from God this morning. I want to just open the altar up. Right now, we'd love to just pray with you. Right now, we'd love to pray with you. The Bible says in James chapter 1, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and freely. And I love how the NLT says, it says, and God won't rebuke you for asking. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I just need some clarity. Maybe I'm about to make a decision. Maybe I'm dealing with a mess and I don't know how to come out of it. I don't know where I'm at right now, but I need clarity and I need direction. Maybe I'm praying about something. I haven't really heard what God wants me to do. I want somebody just to come into agreement with me this morning for clarity and direction over my life. If that's you, just go ahead and come right now. Just go ahead and slip your way into the altar and we want to pray with you. Our prayer teams are here. And as these continue to come right now, I want to just shift for just a second. So the altar's open. If you need prayer for clarity or direction, you come. We want to pray with you. Second thing I want to do is what we do every Sunday. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life. And you realize you're living in the dark because you've never come out of the dark into the light of Christ. And today, the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. And right now, in your heart of hearts, you know that God is calling you unto himself. He's saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And if you've never come to Jesus and made him your Lord and your Savior, today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. This is your moment. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is dealing with you is, is evidence that God is calling you unto himself. And if you're watching online, I'm talking to you also this morning. God cares about you. Jesus died for you. And if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to be born again. That's what Jesus called it. He said, you must be born again. I want to accept Christ. I want my past to be forgiven. I want my future to be sure. And I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, just slip your hand up across this building. Pastor Keith, today I want to be saved. I want to accept Christ. If that's you online, just hit that hand emoji. You can type in that chat box. I'm raising my hand. But this is your moment right now. Today, I want to accept Christ. I've never been born again. I've never truly come out of darkness into light. But today, I want to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. It's not religion. It's relationship. Today, I want to follow Him. And I want to commit my life to Him. If that's you right now, just slip your hand up. A simple act of faith. I'm going to pray right now. Let's just pray this prayer together. And we're going to go into our final song of worship today. Let's pray this prayer together out loud. If you're watching me online, this is for you also. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life and I receive the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to say congratulations. We love you. Welcome to the family. The altar is open for prayer. If you need direction and clarity in your life, we'd love to pray with you this morning. We're going to go into a final song of worship, and then we'll be dismissed today. In secret, in the quiet place. Stillness, you are there. In the secret, 
In the quiet hour I wait only for you Cause I want to know you more I want to know you I want to hear your voice yeah, Let's sing that I out to the Lord today I want to know you more Yes Lord we want to know you today God I want to touch you I want to see your face I want to know you more I'm reaching for the highest goal Thank you Jesus That I might receive the prize Pressing onward Pushing every hindrance aside out of my ways Cause I want to know you more Let's sing it out today I want to know you I want to hear your voice I want to know you more I want to touch you I want to see your face. I want to know you more. Let's just bow our heads today. Father, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you for the drawing and the leading of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you're here. And God, that you're calling us under yourself. Lord, I thank you. It's not your will that we don't know your will. So, Lord, I thank you today that through prayer, the word, and through spiritual community, God, we can connect our hearts to you. God, we can resist the distractions of this world and we can step into the path and plan that you have for our lives. So, Father, I thank you for clarity. I thank you for ears that hear and eyes that see. And I thank you for hearts that obey. And we give you the praise and glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Let me just say to you today, if you're new to Liberty and you're visiting with us today, we're so glad you're here. You are our guest. Make sure to grab a gift bag on the way out. If you didn't fill out a connection card, I'd personally love to follow up with you and let you know we're honored to have you today. God bless you. You are dismissed. And a 1 o'clock today at Holly Pond if you want to come today and join us as we celebrate.